Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. Do you remember that movie back in 2015 called Inside Out? It was that animated movie. It centered around this young girl that moved from the Midwest to San Francisco and in the move, you, you get to see these characters uh, that are her emotions. The emotions are personified through these characters, and specifically, they all are assigned a different color. And, and these emotions, there's different ones. There's uh, joy, there's fear, there's anger, there's disgust, there's sadness. And they, they have conflict about who's going to call the shots. Which emotion is going to be the leader as they navigate a new school, a new city, uh, a new home, all of these things that would go in conjunction with a move. And, and so these emotions all come to the forefront. And they're all battling about who's the leader. Now we can resonate with that a little bit because we all have different emotions, right? We all experience different emotions in different seasons. We can have anger, we can have joy, we can have sadness, and we can express those in different ways. One thing that I love about the Bible is that God allows us to see Jesus experience a, a wide variety of emotions, He really does. In the scriptures, we can see Jesus um, experience in different settings, maybe an emotion that we would experience, and we can resonate. But we see Jesus that he felt uh, different ways in different circumstances. I'll give you a a couple of examples. Sometimes we have to kind of infer it or or, uh, process the situation. But in Matthew, Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends We played wedding songs, and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs, and you didn't mourn. For John, John the Baptist, he didn't spend his time eating and drinking. And you say, well, he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. So I think we can kind of gather from this that there were times that Jesus celebrated. There was happiness. There was joy to his life. He he basically throws it out there. Hey, I was good with hanging out with people and having clean fun. I would feast. I would drink. I would be with these people. And and of course, in clean fun and not to the point of drunkenness. But he says, like, and now you're you're calling me these things because of what I do. But we can kind of gather. There was times Jesus would celebrate. He enjoyed a good party. There's other times we see him in, in moments of intense sadness. His good friend Lazarus dies, and he goes to the tomb, right, to his grave. And you guys know probably this verse, but we see in Scripture, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. There was emotion there. There was great sadness in his weeping. And I think for us, we can process those emotions in an easy fashion because we say, yeah, of course, he is uh, the son of God, not the son of the Terminator, okay? There, there's going to be happiness there, and he can express that. And that that's, makes sense. And then he's got a big heart. He is God. And so he's going to cry over suffering and something that we would think is sad. Of course, yeah, that makes sense. He would weep over that. But I think the hardest emotion for us to understand that we see recorded for us in the Bible is that Jesus also got angry. That one's a little bit tougher maybe to digest. We, we try to soften it by saying, well, he was just a little upset or he got a little bothered. But we see in the scriptures that there were a, a couple instances where he had some pretty intense anger. And, and the Bible's recorded twice that Jesus 
goes to the temple. And at the temple, he is so mad at what is proceeding or what is happening in the temple that he goes all Karen on the place. Right? And he starts, he makes a huge scene. He outbursts, he screams, he, 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 and he drives these people out of the temple. Yeah, I said it. Jesus was the first Karen, right? Now, that's not fair because a lot of Karens in their outbursts are not justified, right? Sorry, uh, my, my good friend at the bank is named Karen, and I feel bad for that poor lady. She's a sweet lady. I can't even call her Karen. I call her by her initials because I just can't, I don't have the guts to say, hey, Karen. It's like, you know, I have a friend also named Felicia. Y'all got any by Felicia's in your life? I do. Okay, so I have a Karen and a Felicia. But all that to say, Jesus was actually justified in his anger. Okay, there, there was, uh, he was just in it. He was right in it. And again, and, and there's, the Gospels record for us specifically that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went into the temple. And at the end of his ministry, he went into the temple. And in those situations, he saw people abusing the name of God, misusing God's purpose for the temple. And within him is what we would call righteous anger. He is right in his anger, but it is still anger. I want to read one of those times, Matthew chapter 21. And actually, we'll go to John as well for the first time. But in John chapter 21, towards the end of the ministry of Jesus, verse 12 says, Jesus entered the temple, and he began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, if you could go back in time, that would be one of those occurrences I would love. Like, if I could just be in there, it would probably be super awkward, and I would probably be way uncomfortable. But, man, it would have been fascinating to have been there when this set Jesus off. And what was happening really set Jesus off. I mean, he makes a huge scene, and he is, he's got this righteous anger so much so of what he's seeing is like, I got to do something about it. Well, what was going on? Okay, the reality is there were people there that were supposed to be there. The people that he sends out, there's a good reason for them to be there. There was a need for these folks. God's law, his requirement was for the temple to be the place of necessary sacrifices. And so some people that would, were outside of Jerusalem would come many far distances. And, and to get there and to have these animals sold for them actually could be a blessing. But there were charging extraordinary prices for these sacrifices, way up and above and beyond the animal's worth, kind of like a convenience store. You guys go to a convenience store, it's called a convenience store for a reason, because their prices are so high, they know that you're going to buy it. I mean, the prices are extraordinary, but we buy them because it's convenience. I mean, well, I'm on the trip or I'm on the road. I can remember when Kim and I were first getting married, we were going through premarital counseling and we had these like, what are your 10 laws, your 10 commandments of, of marriage you think going into it? And one of them was like, we're never gonna buy stuff at the gas station. I really wrote that down. I've since broken one of my commandments because occasionally it is convenient and I need it and I will. But the prices are crazy. They're nuts, right? And so these people are they're like, hey, it is convenient for these people to have these animals. We're gonna charge a huge amount for them. The markup was ridiculous. Now, there's some price gouging going on in the temple, but also you couldn't use Greek or, or Roman money, and so they would, have, uh, ex they would exchange your money for the temple money, and so 
in the exchange rate, they were jacking up the price. Like, man, this is some good business going on here. These people got to use this money. They're going to give us their Greek money, the Roman money, whatever it is, and we're going to exchange it at a high rate. You've ever been overseas and you had to exchange money? I've had to do that on multiple occasions, and I don't like doing that. I don't like doing it because when I give them money, I don't get the exact amount back in the local currency. They're taking some, right? And I really have no control over that rate. So if you, any of you are, or you watch your money and you're, you're like me and you're a tightwad, I don't like that process. It's annoying to me. No, I gave you 100, give me 100 back in the local currency. No, they give me that back 85. Wait, there's a problem. And then I can go to another place and they might give me back 88. It's just really weird. And then I can't speak the language. And so we got problems all around. And then I'm told, hey, if you give them fresh, good money that's not wrinkled and stuff. And literally, when we go to Kenya, been there three times, we're we like, hey, have, have like new $100 bills or whatever it is from the bank because you get a better rate. Why? I don't know, but you get a better rate. And so here they're exchanging money and they're saying, okay, we can make a whole bunch of money off of this. There was some big time profit being made off the worship of God. And Jesus knew it and saw it and it hacked him off. He was very upset of what was happening on. These people were bringing a secular spirit into a sacred space. Do you hear me? This was meant to be a place of worship and we'll see what Jesus said about it. But they were bringing the secular spirit into it. It was all about what can I get out of this? How much money can we make? Which brings us up a good application today. All of us who serve God, whether that's right here, preaching, could be an E-Kids, could be in setup or teardown, could be Hello Team, it could be E-Groups, it could be anything. You serve God in some capacity, okay? It's important how we serve. It's important with what spirit we're serving. Are we trying to get something out of it? Is it about ourself? Are we doing this for God? Are we, are we doing this out of obligation? We feel forced to? Or are we literally like, God, I want to serve you. I want to worship you in this service to you. And so what I'm doing is for you. It's not for any other motive. There's no ulterior gain or motive. See, that would be the secular spirit. But we want this to be a sacred place. And so we want to come with a selfless attitude, with a servant's heart to say, God, this is for you. You might fool other people, but you ain't going to fool God. And he knows your heart, which is actually comforting. But one day, all of us in any type of leadership, we're going to give an account to God. We talked a little bit about this last week, but all of us. Paul says in Romans 14, 12, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. And so all of our service needs to glorify him and to worship him. And if we don't have that attitude and if we don't serve with that spirit, we'll be distasteful to the Lord. Our service. And Jesus might want to clean house in us, right? As he, cleans, as he cleansed the temple. But I would say even saying it's distasteful might be an understatement. Because if you look at John chapter 2, when when he describes this first cleansing of the temple, I, I, I just want to read it because it, it is actually, it's very enlightening to what Jesus was really feeling. John chapter 2, verse 14. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. We just kind of told you about what they were doing. Verse 15. In response to that, Jesus made a whip. 
Yeah, here we go, right? I mean, that escalated quickly, as they say. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers, coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. And then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. I mean, Jesus made a whip, y'all. I mean, he went to town in the temple. He said this, this was serious to him. So serious that the disciples were like, wait, there's an Old Testament passage that reminds me of Jesus. Psalm 69, 9 says, passion for your house has consumed me. The actions of Christ screamed he was passionate about the right things happening at the temple, at God's house. And Jesus wanted it to be done the right way. He wanted the worship of God to be done with a, a pure purpose. And then back in Matthew, you'll remember what Jesus said. Very clearly says, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. It's like, y'all got this wrong. You got this backwards. You guys are abusing what is supposed to take place here. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. And what Jesus is doing, he's actually quoting two different Old passages, Old Testament passages. Isaiah 56, verse 7. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then he also quotes Jeremiah 7.11. By the way, Jesus knew scripture. If Jesus knew scripture, we should know scripture. Jeremiah 7.11, don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves. Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is really interesting. So Jesus is clearly stating he knows God's heart for this place and that God's heart is intent. His purpose of the temple was to be holy and function as a house of prayer. That was the purpose. And so the idea of that is that the atmosphere around the Father must be one of seeking Him, pursuing Him, and being in relationship with Him, which should also distinguish the Christian gathering. The Christian gathering should be one of a spirit of longing to see God, of seeking God, of connecting with Him, the aroma and atmosphere should be prayer of the Christian gathering. Doesn't matter your preference. Doesn't matter if you would like one song over the other song. Doesn't matter if you think the chair should be a different color or you don't like a gym. It doesn't matter. The atmosphere, the aroma of this place and what we're doing should be one of prayer. Now, for the literalist in the room, like myself sometimes, like Jesus was talking about the temple. The temple was important to the Jew because it was a place these sacrifices could be given. They had the Holy of Holies, had the holy place. But we see something very interesting in the New Testament. Jesus predicts that the temple would be destroyed in 70 AD. It is. And at that time... Uh, the Bible began to teach the Christian that the temple was not to be the central figure for a follower of Christ. But the Bible began, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said the temple is now you as a Christian. As a follower of Jesus, you are a temple. The presence associated, the presence of God associated with the literal temple is now associated with you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit ushered in to the life of a believer the housing of God, God's presence. We are a walking holy of holies. You see this in different places. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And so if we are a temple, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit sets up shop in you. And now it's about us yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit. But the presence of God is in us. And so, dear Christian, what you should be known for, what I should be known for, is you should be a house of prayer. You're a house of prayer. I'm a house of prayer. We should always have the aroma of prayer as a follower of Christ because we are the temple of God. Of course, we see in Scripture a Christian worship and, and in the Word, but all of that should be saturated in prayer. We should carry ourselves in a spirit of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Never stop praying or never cease in praying. Never stop praying. That's a house of prayer. See, house of prayer is when prayer is your go-to. It's when something happens, it's your instinct. And that's what we see from the first followers of Christ. When anything would happen, their instinct was pray. In fact, that's how the first church started. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascends to heaven, what are they doing? In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Jesus has ascended to the Father, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. we got Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together. This is the first thing they're doing. And what? And were constantly united in what? In what? Mary. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. They were united in prayer constantly. It's the first thing they do. It sure seems like prayer was becoming like breathing to them. It was what you do. You stay in constant contact with the Father through your faith in Jesus and this relationship and through prayer. And as the church grew, they kept that same fervor. Acts 2.42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And as they continued to grow, they kept this pattern even when times were difficult. And we could go all through Acts and we could highlight the time you see them praying. It was their instinct. It was their go-to. But in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they're arrested because they were speaking the name of Jesus. The religious leaders said, no, 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 you can't do this. You can't continue to spill out this propaganda, these lies. Jesus is not the Messiah, not the Savior. He's not the way to be in right standing with God. You can't do this. And if you talk about Jesus anymore, you will be harmed severely. They threaten them. Now, we know ultimately they kill Christians, and so maybe that was part of the threat. You will die if you speak of Jesus. But what we see is they are threatened and said, don't ever speak his name again. So these believers, you know what they do? I go back to the other believers. Like, we were just threatened and said we should never speak about Jesus again. You know what they did? They all got together, rallied the troops, and went to the Capitol and stormed the building. Do you know what, that's what they did? Okay, too soon, too soon. Hashtag too soon. No, 
That's not what they did. They had a prayer meeting. Let's just look at what they did. Acts 4.29 and now. This is part of their prayer. They say, we got to pray. We were just threatened. Let's pray. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. And give us your servants great boldness. in what? Preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, which is a great prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And look what happened as a result of this prayer. They preached the word of God with boldness. The point of this is, and the point should be for you too, their instinct was always to pray. If there's trouble, we pray. If there's persecution, we pray. If there's a promotion, we pray. If we're intimidated, if we're challenged, if we're blessed, we pray. So from my question for you today is, what's your instinct? Their instinct was, man, this has happened, pray. This is what we need to do, pray. You see in Acts chapter 6, they're confused about how to take care of these widows. What do they do? Pray. Instinct after instinct after instinct, situation after situation after situation. It is just, let's pray. So what's your instinct? Good or bad come in your life, what do you do? Complain? Go to someone else? Go to Facebook? Go to the old social media world to vent? Or is it like, I need to pray? What's your instinct? Paul told Timothy this, 1 Timothy 2.1. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godless indignity. How do, how do we do that? We pray for them. So we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. What I want to highlight here is he says, Timothy, hey, first things first, pray. Pray for people. Pray. Here's what's first. Pray. What's the first thing you do, Tim? You pray. So I'm just telling you today, real change in our church and in your life will not come outside of fervent prayer. It's not going to happen. Real change in your life, real change in our church is not happening outside of us seeking, begging, pleading on our knees before the Father. Earnest prayer. And so I'm asking you, church, myself included, to become houses of prayer. It's like breathing to us. Some of us are only breathing when we need a big gulp. Some of us are only breathing when the sun's out. But let, I, I want it to be, we are a house of prayer, 24-7, 365, praying. Because one day, we're going to die. Isn't that good news today? <laughs> well, great. But one day, we're going to die. It's so nice to hear. But it's true. One day, you're going to die, I'm going to die. And we don't want our epitaph to say, you had not because you asked not. You don't want that to be read at your funeral. You don't want your eulogy to be, man, what a great guy, but he had not because he asked not. It's time for us to seek God, to seek his will, and to pursue him with passion, to be a house of prayer. Think about it. If you ask the closest person in your life and say, if my life was a house, what, what would you describe my house as? A house of money or a house of 
laughter, house of fun, house of stress, a house of pain. Jump, jump. Wasn't there a, was there a band called House of Pain? Thank you. Okay, that just came to me, sorry. But what would they say? We're called to be a house of prayer. And if we could live that life as a house of prayer, I believe we would experience real change. And so hear me today. Our lives will not change. And I want to bring it to the church today. Our church will not change unless we become a people of prayer. You know what? Let's be honest. Our church needs some change. What do you think the will is? What do you think God's will is for EC, for everyday church? You think his will for us is to die? I don't think that. I don't think he wants his church to die. Unless we were sacrificing weird things today. I'm pretty sure he would smite us in the moment. But man, we're really trying to do our best to pursue the Lord. And I believe that his will for us is not to die. But if things don't change, we will. That's just the nature of it. If things don't change, we will. And so I believe they can change and they will change. If it's not just me, but together we seek the Lord and we pray and beg of him and plead of him to have a mighty move in our midst and in us and through us. And if we all commit to that, I believe we will see change. And so I'm going to ask you, okay, I'm about to freak a couple of people out here, but I'm asking you very specifically to be praying this, that God, listen to me, I'm about to use a word that you guys have not heard, even those that have met with me about this. I'm asking you to join me to pray that God triples us by the end of April. Now, I've met with people, and we've said double. And I got to thinking, every time I brought this up to a group of people, and I said, man, God could double us with ease. It would be easy to double. And I thought, that's dumb of me. That's such a lack of faith. I want big faith. Triple scares me. Double doesn't, triple scares me. And it should, hopefully, you need to go to the restroom. Wait, just wait till the end. But hopefully it made you want to pee a little, okay? <laughs> but at the end of the last year, I mean, we're just turning seven. But the, I mean, we've, we've, we've just, all that's gone on in this world, we've experienced so much. But let's just say, at the end of last year, we brought 25 people. It's crazy to even think that, but that's where we end up. So I'm asking that we all pray that we're averaging at least 75 people here every week by the end of April. 75. I'm just telling you it's doable. Why is it doable? Because of God. God would get the credit. And so I don't want to lack faith. I want more faith. And so let's ask him to do it. Because I think Dublin, we could actually say, yeah, that was a pretty cool thing we did. No, no. We triple. We're going to say, that's the pretty cool thing God did. And so that's what we're going to ask. How do we do that? I'll say it's pretty easy. You got to tell people about us. Unchurched, de church folk, you need to tell them about everyday church. You know the old saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, when you got this enormous task in front of you, how, how do you accomplish it one bite at a time? It's just one person at a time. So I'm going to say, don't focus on 75. I want you to focus on one. Who's your one in 21? That's what I want you to think about. 
Who's your one family? Who's your one person? However you want to look at it. I don't want you to think about the elephant and the 75. At this point, I want you to be thinking about who's my one? Who is the unchurched, dechurched person in my life that needs a faith family, that needs to know more about the Lord, who needs to get plugged into a local church? Not the one that, ooh, I could steal them from them. No, it's like, hey, they need a local faith family. Now, they might claim they're a part, but they're not plugged in anywhere. Fair game. Okay? But who is your one in 21? I want you to be praying for them. Who, and that's the thing. You can't skip the step. I don't want you to go right now and invite them. Maybe next week. But the first thing you need to do is pray. And honestly, what you do need to pray for is who is my one? I don't care your age, by the way. Oldest to the youngest in this room, we all got one. And let's ask the Lord, who is our one? And we start with prayer. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, talked about big faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so we're going to draw near to God. And as we draw near to God in our faith, we got to believe. Believe in him, that he exists, and that he hears, that he has all power. But we also need to believe he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, here's the key to me in that verse. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Are we seeking the reward? I don't want you to seek the reward. Then, we, then we've actually gone off track. We need to seek the Lord who will bring the reward. And so your focus in your prayer does not need to be about what the result could be, honestly. It needs to be about, man, God, I want to bow to you, submit to you, yield to you. I want to seek you. And in that, the reward will come. It could come differently. Maybe it comes in 175. Maybe it comes in a different way. I don't know. But we're going to seek the Lord together, that he would grow us, and ultimately he would triple us. And so I want to draw near knowing that God has all authority to do it. And I want you to pray for your church to grow. And we want to help you in your prayer life, not just about a number. We want to be more intimate in our relationship with God. And so next week at 1030 and and moving forward, we're going to have a prayer time. And if you can come and you want to get on your face before God, before our gathering, I don't want dead gatherings. I want a live gathering. How are they going to be alive? Us seeking the Lord. And so 1030, you can come. If they're still kind of getting set up in here, we'll meet out there and then come in here. But we'll be here or in that little commons area right out here, and we're going to pray, and we're just going to ask God to move. You don't have to be like, ooh, I'm not the best prayer in the world. What's that about? No, just pray. Jacob before was like, man, I'm kind of nervous. Hey, you just get the lead out, and we're all going to be praying with you as we pray to God. If Jacob, faith like a child, childlike can do it, anyone can do it. And so we're just going to be here, and we're going to pray. We're also going to send out an email every week with a prayer guide of of things to pray for. But we're going to take this seriously. And we have as a church to a large degree. But I want us to take it to the next level. Because prayer is the channel where change occurs. And if we are desperate for change, it's only going to come through prayer. Us seeking the Father. There once was a little girl that had her scooter in her garage, but she couldn't get to her scooter because there was a heavy box that had wedged the scooter against the wall. And the little girl was like, I really want my scooter. And so she's pushing and pulling, and she cannot move this box because it was a giant box, and it was very heavy to a little girl. The father happened to be in the garage and was watching the little girl who was trying to be so independent and on her own to move this box. 
And so she pushed, she pulled, she tried to reach, and she couldn't get it out. And finally was like, I give up. I can't get my scooter. And so the father said, hey, did you try everything you could? Yeah, I tried everything I could. Did you use all the strength you had? Yeah, I used every bit of strength I had, but I couldn't get my scooter. Then why didn't you ask your father? Huh. See, we have a father that has a resource. He has a a table full of every resource we could ever want. But we get so caught up in man-made effort and strength and survival of the fittest that we forget the father can do whatever he wants because he has all power. It's at his disposal. And so it's time for us to go to daddy and say, we need you. We can't do this on our own. Give us boldness. Give us power. Let us be your hands and feet. But God has got to come from you. You are our source of everything. And so my encouragement today, be a house of prayer. Let that be your instinct. And together, let's be a house of prayer. And let's go to him 24-7, 365. We pause now, Father. And I pray for us, for our instinct to be one of prayer. And as we go through this series, we know prayer is not just about request. It's about a healthy relationship. And so I pray we vent, we vent to you. We need to weep, we weep with you. We need to shout praise, we shout with you. But it would be our instinct through the rain, through the sun, through the storms and craziness of life to the amazing blessings that come from being your follower. I pray that our instinct the natural inclination of our heart would be to always turn to you first. In celebration, in sadness, even in anger, in doubt, in confusion, turning to you signifies that we trust and believe in you. And so I pray that our faith would increase and that we would draw near to you in faith, believing that you exist And you reward those who earnestly seek you. And so God, humbly knowing that you have a table full of resources available to us, I pray that you would grow us as a faith family. That our church would reach more people. We exist. We're here to reach this city, to reach the world one day at a time. And Father, I feel lately we have failed in that mission. And maybe that's us not connecting, not abiding. There's no reason, I guess, at this point to say why, except we know the solution, and that's to turn to you. And so, God, give us boldness to preach the word. Give us favor with the unchurched and dechurched. Give us boldness to engage in those conversations and prepare the soil for the seed. God, send out your workers, your laborers, your laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so we beg of you, plead with you, ask you to help us see people saved, baptized, and plugged in to your bride, the church. And help us be kingdom-minded and not so everyday church-centric even. I pray that, that you would bless the churches in our area. There's enough lostness that we all need to step up and make a dent in the darkness. 
I also don't want to like uh, ignore the blessings of what you've done in and through everyday church, God. Never. We are so grateful for what you've done and what you are doing. We just want to be used to the fullest and have the most amount of influence that you would give us. And we want to see the lost found. And so maybe us need to represent the heart of Jesus and have some reckless love. Help us love the lost and see them to come to know you. Anoint us, empower us. Father, I beg of you to grow your church, to triple us in size by the end of April. With no one looking around, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, whether you're online or in this room, I would say, let us have that conversation with you. In the back of this room, there's these cards. You can mark on the back of that card, I would like a conversation about Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're saying, I've given my life to Jesus. It just means I want to talk about it. And so today, on your way out, check, fill out that card on the back. Say, I'd like more information about what it means to follow Jesus. Leave it in the basket. We want to have that conversation. If you're online, go to everyday.church, click the connect tab, and let us know. You would like that conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. We're here for you. We want to help you. We want to see you be all that you can be in him. And so we'll do our best to answer every question you have. We might not be able to answer them all, but we'll do our best. We want to connect with you and help you understand what that means. Father, thank you again for what you're doing here. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.